Hello, I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today, we have the audio from our February Funnies virtual panel, moderated by author Tiff Marcello, celebrating three rom-coms that released in February. Too Wrong to be Right by Melanie Johnson, Not Your Ex's Hexes by April Asher, and Take the Lead by Alexis Daria. The authors chat about their latest releases, how they chose their settings, and what kind of research they did once they'd written their characters into unfamiliar career paths. Melanie, it sounds like, has learned a lot about death. They talk about building the worlds of their books and how that work changes at different points in the writing of a series. They get into their recipes, or lack thereof, for writing good banter. And Alexis and Melanie share a trick for getting work done and staying focused. Finally, each author picks a drink to pair with her book and shouts out a recommendation to topple your TBR. Before I leave you to their delightful chat, I'll briefly introduce our panelists and our moderator. USA Today bestselling author Melanie Johnson, aka The Writing Lush, has been declared a writer to watch by Kirkus and a fizzy, engrossing new voice by Entertainment Weekly. A former high school English and theater teacher, she spends her days in her Star Wars office dreaming up meat cutes. She lives in Chicagoland with her husband and their two redheaded daughters. By day, April Asher dons dark blue nursing scrubs and drinks way too much caffeine. By night, she pens romantic comedies with a paranormal twist, but also writes high-octane romantic suspense as April Hunt. She lives out her own happily ever after with her college sweetheart husband and their two children. Alexis Daria writes stories about successful Latinx characters and their occasionally messy familias. Her debut, Take the Lead, won the 2018 Rita Award for Best First Book, and her book You Had Me at Ola is a national bestseller, Target Diverse Book Club pick, and New York Times Editor's Choice pick. Alexis is a lifelong New Yorker who loves Broadway musicals and pizza. Moderator Tiff Marcello believes and writes about the strength of families, the endurance of friendship, heartfelt romances, and is inspired daily by her own military hero husband and four children. She hosts the Stories to Love podcast and is a USA Today bestselling author of fiction for adults and young adults. All right. Without further ado, here are Melanie Johnson, April Asher, and Alexis Daria in conversation with Tiff Marcello. Welcome, everybody. I am so honored to be here tonight. I have these three books here, and I was able to read them one after another. Um, I was convalescing. And talk about romance lifting me up once more in my life when I really needed it. So I am going to ask each one of you to give a brief description of what your novel's about. So let's start with Melanie. My novel is my very first friends to lovers romance I've ever written. First time with that trope. Uh, It is about a florist who is a romantic. She's kind of grown up on the belief that there is the the one for you is out there somewhere. Um, and that all of these things that she sees in the rom-coms that she inhales, you know, and loves, that she's going to have that love story. She wants that love story. And so far, she has not succeeded. The main problem is she is an asshole magnet. Her, yeah. <laughs> her, her compass is tuned in to jerk. And she just, you know, has a little bit of a problem there. So she's kind of decided after the last jerk dumps her that she has, you know, that's it. I obviously am not doing this correctly. I need to come up with a new plan. And as one does, especially in a rom-com, makes a list of the qualities she wants in her Mr. Right. 
Uh, of course, the next person she meets um, happens to be, you know, nothing on that list. And uh, the meet cute happens in a funeral home over a casket. And that kind of sets the scene from there. Our hero, Mick, is uh, his family owns a funeral home. And he is my little ode to Nick Miller from The New Girl. And that kind of tells you mm. all you need to know about Mick. So um, Not Your Ex's Hexes is pretty much Rose, who's a witch who has thought she was going to do one thing her literally her whole entire life. And now that's not going to happen. And she kind of is at that spot where she has to figure out what she wants to do. And she goes through a series of dead-end jobs and mishaps. She has a one-night stand with the sexy demon who she later has a run-in after she tries to save some horses she thinks are were uh, mistreated. And it turns out to be her one-night stand who runs the animal sanctuary. So, of course, it's a forced proximity because she gets sentenced to community service with that he has to kind of oversee. <laughs> and so it's like grumpy sunshine. It's one-night stand, like friends with benefits that obviously gets a little sticky because, yeah, it's a romance. I mean, I pretty much threw every trope in there. So there's puppies, there's snarky grandmas, there's meddling friends, and I kind of put it all in there. So my latest release is Take the Lead. It was my debut, which came out in 2017, but I gave it a fresh edit and it's finally out in paperback, has a new cover and bonus materials and all kinds of fun stuff. It's uh, It takes place on a dance competition reality show. The heroine is a professional dancer on the show and she has not only not ever won, she's <laughs> never even made it to the finals. So she's got a goal going into this. And she thinks she's going to be paired with a winter Olympian. And it turns out to be this like big shirtless wood chopping Alaskan guy who's on a reality TV show of his own, uh, where he and his family are survivalists. Um, and he really does not want to be on this show. He is not about the dancing and all that. He's kind of just doing it uh, for his family and to make some money for them. But of course, you know, we've got some great force proximity. They are together all the time in the rehearsal studio. And they realize that they are being positioned as a showman. So they're kind of trying, uh, the producers are trying to push them into a fake dating scenario. And Gina, the heroine, is adamantly against it. But as they both open up more to each other, uh, they do start a secret romance. And uh, yeah, the book follows their season on the show. Yeah. You know, all three books took me away, right? Because you have these characters with interesting jobs. And it's like rife for comedy. So you've got Kat, who's a florist. That's fine. But then the people that work with her have their quirks and there's like a crocheted penis on the ground. And then and then you have Mick, who is one of three siblings that run a funeral home. So that alone is is something. Then you've got April's book where you've got Rose, who was this like prima witch at one point, and now she's totally fledgling. And then Damien, this reformed bad boy demon. And then you've got Alexis's take the lead and you've got Gina, who's like so ambitious and she's so serious and she's a dancer and, you know, has aspirations. And then she meets this woodchopper for real because that was the first one of the first scenes is he's actually chopping wood in Alaska without a shirt on. So how did you guys come up with these interesting settings and interesting jobs? Like what, how did that all happen? So um, Damien actually, his occupation kind of went through a metamorphosis. Um, 
when I was plotting out the series, like I wanted all my characters to be really different, especially like the sisters. Um, they have diff- vastly different personalities. And I wanted my heroes to be the same. Um, and I was actually talking to a friend, um, Rachel Lacey, and we were joking around. And I said, I want him to be, you know, I don't know if I want him to be like a vampire or a shifter or something, you know, and I like cowboy heroes, you know what I mean? I was like, and she, she jokingly said to me, you can make him a, a demon cowboy. And I'm like, hmm. So he actually started as a demon cowboy. I mean, that but, makes um, sense. Because, yeah. you know, demons are like rogue and cowboys are, I, I was just watching <laughs> Yellowstone you so, the other know. day. But yeah. it was it was a challenge. So, yeah. um, but because the series is in New York City, which is one of my favorite cities, I morphed it into a demon veterinary. He likes animals a heck of a lot more than he likes people. But he's not just a vet. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not just a vet. That's, that's true. He does have that that bad boy, former bounty hunter um, thing. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a job switch. Yeah. And, and it's like, he's so closed off. And I think that's also with Alexis's hero, right? He's just, he's like full. I just envision him. Well, of course I see the cover too, where he's just full in every way. You know, like, <laughs> it's those big, grumpy heroes, you know what you I mean? Know, and just, just like, quiet and serious, <laughs> but you know, he, and then he's <laughs> chopping wood and and, and dancing reasons, yeah you know like he he starts off very reserved and guarded and it yeah. is um because he's a terrible liar and he's keeping secrets yeah. for his family and he's on camera all the time with people you know shoving a microphone in his face and asking him questions and he's just so terrified of letting something slip that he just has adopted this role that they've kind of pushed him into of being the strong silent one yeah. and he just kind of follows through with that until he meets Gina and through dance, she's yeah. like, you got to open up more. You got to emote. And that is what really um, helps him kind of ask himself these questions. Like, what do I really want to be doing? Do I like, I love Alaska, but I was an engineer. <laughs> you know, I had a yeah. job in life and everything before I started this show with my family. What do I really want? Uh, and for Gina, of course, she's a professional dancer, but you know, I think, if you work in creative fields, as we all do as well, in addition to whatever else we have done on the side or, you know, day job or before or after, um, we, you know, you also have to think about like how you're going to pivot. Mm-hmm. And if you're a dancer using your body, like you you have to also think like, what else is there beyond this? And Gina does have very big dreams and ambitions, uh, you know, but she sees this this show that she's on as her stepping stone to more and she does not want to screw it up. Yeah. And, and the act of dance, right. And sometimes I forget this um, when you're dancing, you're, you are physically touching one another. Right. And then you're being forced to look into each other's eyes. I love that scene. There's a scene in the book where he can't quite look, or is it was she the one that can't quite look at him, but it was just a hard, it was difficult. Yeah, they uh, they are assigned the Argentine tango for their their second week on the show, which is a very like in your face dance, like yeah. literally. And she's like, "If you're afraid to touch me and throw me around for this choreography, our dance is gonna suck." Yeah, and he's just like he's very nervous about it. Um, and she gets him to the point where he's willing to do that, but then he won't look at her. Yeah, and she's like, <laughs> "Okay, you know, like 
we, we got to do something here. And she calls on her yoga teacher training uh, and they do some eye gazing, which at first feels very weird and awkward and silly. <laughs> I mean, I was reading it and I was getting very awkward. Like I, I was, I was feeling awkward looking at the, I was, I can't, I can't eye gaze with just anybody. I mean, it's that's, hard. I can't anybody. even do it. Like, and with my husband, I start to giggle. Like, <laughs> yes, I the same thing. I was going to say that too, but some days I'm just like, no. <laughs> But yeah, if you've ever have, it's, it's, it feels so awkward at first, yeah. but then it's like something happens. So that's what I was trying to put into there. And that like deepens their connection as well. Yeah. Um, and becomes like a thing that they do together. Yeah. Romance things. Well, you know, Melanie's characters, their meet cute is so hilarious. So oh my, it had me cackling. It's I kind swear. of nightmarish <laughs> if you think about it. So, I think we, we can share it, right, Melanie? We can go ahead and share yeah, yeah. That part, so right? I mean, as far as like professions go, I knew Cat was going to be a florist because it's a standalone book. But the first book, Too Good to Be Real, you do meet those first three friends, and we see Cat as a florist. So she, I knew what was going to happen. And then, so when I was trying to figure out like what exactly, what kind of situation would she be in where she has to like have this delivery and, and where could it be? And for me, a lot of times meet cutes will kind of, I know I've got something good when a meet cute will pop into my head fully formed. And this one, it was all there. So oh. she gets a last minute assignment to drop off a delivery with very specific instructions to a funeral home. And Kat does not do funeral homes. She does the weddings. The other the other um, person at the store does the funerals. But for romance reasons, she's stuck doing this delivery. She's just like, I'm just going to get in and get out. And it was very specific. This boutonniere had to be pinned to the corpse. And there, you know, and so she's, and no one's around. And she's like, funeral homes creep her out. There's reasons I can explain later. So she's like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to get it done. I'm not going to be thinking about what I'm doing. I'll just pretend, you know, it's a groom stiff with nerves, you know, like just poke <laughs> that thing in there because her eyes are closed. She's poking around like pin the tail on the donkey, trying to get that boutonniere in. And Mick, the hero, comes in to check on things and he's just like, what the hell? Like, who, who is this person? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm screwing around, you know. And uh, so, of course, she, she, you know, he freaks her out. She's, she's startled, tried, almost falls. He's like, you're going to fall into the casket if I don't do something about this. So he pulls her back and she, of course, lands on top of him. And we have our, we have our me cute. <laughs> so where did you come up with the whole funeral home concept? Well, that, well, that really came from, as I was thinking through, like what, as a florist, I mean, I just kind of like the little, like I knew I wanted, you know, she'd be coming off this bad breakup, has to make this delivery. Where is she going? <laughs> and you know, funeral home, like, again, like the scene popped into my head and it was like, it was fully formed, like Mick and, and the, the whole, the whole thing, his family there, everything kind of just, it's sometimes you get these gifts as writers. I think we all know, like sometimes you'll just get this gift of like inspiration. So, I mean, then I had to do the research. So I did fall down many rabbit holes as far as funeral homes were concerned. Um, so many rabbit holes to the point where I'm actually currently reading this book, All the Living and the Dead. It's just it's just a fascinating look at death and how we handle death. And I yeah. I mean I fell into like tree pods and mushroom suits and <laughs> like you know, but these are very these are morbid things, but there's yeah. also I mean, I've always kind of had maybe it's the Irish and Jewish in me, this kind of sense of humor with like dark comedy, mm-hmm. sense of humor about death in some ways. So, you know, kind of incorporating all that into the story as well. And we do see, we do see, um, you know, Irish wake and we do see a Jewish service where they're sitting Shiva. And I thought that was important to kind of include those things in the story. But yeah, yeah so that's how we ended up at a funeral home. <laughs> 
Well, how did we end up in an animal sanctuary, April? Because I remember talking to you about this story. You know, April and I are actually critique partners and we do a lot of brainstorming, but sometimes half that stuff is, of course, that was done like three years ago, right? Because this (laughs) takes that long for a book to come out. How did you end up in an animal sanctuary on Long Island? You know, because I wanted something like that was New York City adjacent. You know, my husband's from New York. Um, some of his family's in Long Island. Some's actually in the city. I don't know. I just wanted, I knew he was going to be at that point a demon, you know? And I was like, all right, well, he's going to like, he's not going to like people very much. So, okay, animals, you know? So he, so, and I think that's, it kind of went through there. And he likes animals more than he does people. And then I was like, all right, well, how am I going to put them two together? And I'm like, all right, well, how about she tries to steal his horses? And Alexis, how how many of dancing reality shows did you watch? What kind of research <laughs> did you do for the specific dances? Because or were you just an avid watcher? Or are you still an avid watcher now? I really thought I had watched enough seasons of Dancing with the Stars to just write an entire book about <clears throat> dancers without doing any research. And that was not the case. <laughs> um, you know, like you watch and you become like an armchair judge where you're like, Oh, like her arms, you know, weren't extending enough or like their frame is whatever, you know, you watch and you you make these comments, like listening to the judges. (laughs) But when it came time to actually write these scenes, I was like, I don't know anything about these dances. So I just did a ton of research. Like I had, I basically had to intellectually understand how to do all of these dances because I do not know how to do them physically. (laughs) But I looked up the history, the type of music, um, which sometimes led to other things because I am also not a musician. So I don't know when they're talking about beats. I'm like, what does that mean? So then I have to look that up too. You know, what uh, what type of moves and steps there are and, and posture and frame and all of that, you know, just watching tons of videos of like how-to videos of like what all the steps are and then wow. putting those together in such a way that I could write it where even if you don't know what that specific step is, you understand that it is a step of that dance. Yeah. And then trying to just describe what the feeling of the dance is and what the emotions they're having as they're doing it are. Like that's kind of more important, but at the same time, I didn't want to just say they danced. Yeah. Leave it at that. Yeah. And and then still have room in the rest of the book, right? Because there's drama behind all of this and the relationship. All of these shows, like I, you know, I I first wrote the book in a certain way. And then I I did even more research into the behind the scenes stuff of reality television shows. And I was like, oh, I'm not going far enough. Oh no. It's like a total further. (laughs) You know, with that, with the drama there. Um, I don't know if that particular show has like that level of like toxic workplace environment going on that I put into my book, but like we need conflict as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just more exciting that way. Um, I have a question. Um, This is for Alexis. There was a companion novella and I believe I read that there was a novel too for take the lead. Will that also get reworked? So uh, when this book first came out, the second book came out right after it as well. Um, But I don't think anybody knew that that happened except me (laughs) maybe a handful of people who read it um that book uh dance with me is currently out of print Mm -hmm. i just reread it uh with an eye toward giving it a you know like a edit pass to and i was like man i really love this book and it actually needs way less work than i thought it did so i would love for this book to also get the same treatment um it's just a little up in the air right now Mm -hmm. um and i did also write a holiday novella that i had self-published uh that came out after these first two did, obviously, 
And that's still out there. And there were two other books that I had started writing in the series, but because I didn't have a contract for them, I had to stop and write You Had Me at Ola, yeah. uh, which I'm very glad I did. But it's so neat to for you to be able to redo this and to reintroduce a series that feels so far away because publishing moves so quickly. Oh my know? gosh. And if you guys, you all remember what publishing was like in 2017, it was just like a completely different landscape. It's, yeah. For sure. Um, you know, I'm sure probably all of us at some point had books that were ebook only or ebook first. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about banter real quick because, you know, you guys can write dialogue and conversation, <laughs> but more than that, it is the, you know, you guys can really write the back and forth where I get lost as a reader in terms of like, I'm, I've fallen into the book. What is your recipe for banter? Like, how do you write this? Are you thinking it in your head and then just typing it out? Are you saying it out loud? What What is your process and what's your recipe? Um, let's start with Melanie. So um, I was a theater major uh, and an actress and a director. So uh, um, for me, my way into a story, aside from the characters, is through is through dialogue. So oh, dialogue, you know, as far as like what, you know, if you had to like, I know often likes to be like, I'm good at this, but like the, my strength, I feel like is, is dialogue. And for me, I hear it. I, I will, I hear the characters, I hear their voices and it's, and it's not just what they're saying, but it is, it is the pattern. It is the speech pattern. I'm kind of playing the person who takes the notes when someone's speaking. That's me. Like I get I to hear it, it and it's all down. Um, and then it is like, you know, after that first pass where you kind of the vomit draft, as we sometimes call it, where you get that all out there, you let the scene play out and you write it down. I will sometimes as I'm reading back through it, you know, as I'm listening to it, if it's not hitting that right rhythm, I might tweak mm -hmm. it a little bit here and there. But it's weird. So my I struggle with pacing and things like that. But when it comes to dialogue, almost all the time, the dialogue that comes out when I in the first draft usually stays all the way through. Oh, wow. It's my favorite part. I have to say yeah, the banter is it. my favorite part. How about you, April? I don't know that I have a real recipe. I'm naturally a very sarcastic person. Like my husband always tells me it's like my love language. He's the same way. He has a very dry <laughs> sense of humor. So sometimes like we play off of each other and that's, it just pretty much like flows. Like I let my smart acidness, you know, come out. And a lot of times the things that my characters say, as you know, Tiff, like you could probably hear them coming out of my Sometimes ears, she texts know? me these like something, something panty, something, something, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> Guess what I just wrote? Yeah. Guess what I was, um, it's, it's amazing. I'm like, I don't, I'm just not like that. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just our process is so it? different. It, but it's, and it I've comes, heard her, April, I've heard you and your husband talk. Um, oh, yeah. And sometimes we're it's both, almost very sarcastic. Yeah. The banter is so quick. I'm like trying to keep up with it. Yeah. So, yeah. It, I mean, it just, it kind of comes very natural. And even when I wrote, like, was writing romantic suspense under April Hunt, like, you know, either my agent or my editor would always call me out. Like I'd be at a, like a very, what's supposed to be a very serious moment um, in the romantic suspense. And somebody would just make a joke or, you know, say something and I'd get called out constantly for it. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay. So feelings, we need feelings. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to get that heavy. I want to joke here. But yeah, I mean, and then too, I find like inspiration, like things like my husband says, and they just, yeah. they, I mean, just the other day, just as a little thing, we were in the car and I don't know what we were talking about, but somehow he said, he said something about the dance with no pants. And I was like, I don't know where I'm putting it. I'm currently doing edits for book three in the supernatural. I said, I don't know where I'm putting it. I don't know who's going to say it, 
but that is going to be a response that somebody is going to say at some point during that book. And now how about you, Alexis? How about you and banter? Like, how do you approach that? So the the funny thing is I was listening to both April and Melanie and I was like, I could be giving these answers too. Cause yeah. I also feel like dialogue is the thing that comes e- most easily to me. Okay. Uh, and that is often the first thing that will come to me for my books and my characters. Mm. And it's how I figure them out. So my phone in the notes app is just littered with these like random exchanges with no punctuation of like four back and forth lines. <laughs> and then That's they're always at the point where I'm writing the book where I'm like, oh, F, like I have to now go and compile all of those because they are brilliant, of course, mm-hmm. every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to compile them in this long document and be like, where is this exchange going to go? Because yeah. they do still correspond to different points in the story. I just don't know where, you know, I don't know what the outline is yet at that point. I just know that at some point they're going to hit this moment where they have this exchange. Yeah. So for banter, I was really thinking about this question. I was like, man, I wish I had a recipe, but it's just like April said, it's just the sarcasm is a big part of it. And I will also ruin a lot of romantic moments with an <laughs> ill-timed joke in, um, <laughs> In my books, but probably real life too. What does that say? Uh, do you do the same thing too, Melanie? So what does that say about you guys when it comes to like feelings? Well, what April was describing her and her husband, like that's me and my husband, <laughs> yeah. like this domestic banter. I'm like, we need our own talk show. You know, it's like, I mean, we would only find ourselves amusing, but you know, like, yeah. there, there are times that my boyfriend will say something and like just the way he delivers the line I will like be crying with laughter. And he's like, yeah. what are you laughing at? <laughs> you know, like, That's it was, like, amazing. Something very serious to him. But just his delivery just is so funny. And there are moments also where I'm like, I'm going to write that down and use that. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I think, so I think as far as recipe goes, I think one thing is that is can be tricky is that it's true to the character, like that they are, like if you try and stick something in a character's mouth that they wouldn't say that, that mm-hmm. can be. And I, Alexis, I like what you said about the notes. I do the exact same thing. No tap is just because those those conversations that will just pop into your head, and you're like, I I got it. And like finding that place of where it goes can sometimes can sometimes be a little tricky. But sometimes it's just getting we're getting to know them by hearing those conversations. Right, and you you can build a whole scene around just those few little lines that come to you. Like once you figure out where it goes, it's like okay, this is. It gives you the vibe. It gives you their dynamic, their interaction. It was a little hard to remember how I did that with Take the Lead, but it really had to do more with um, who they are, right? Like Grumpy Sunshine, we're using these tropes. Like he really is so reserved. He's just scared to say anything. And she's like, I, you know, she recognizes that they're being put in the situation, but at the same time, she wants to win and she is a professional and she is there to teach him. So she is still mm-hmm. going to try and do those things. And she's just a friendly, bubbly person anyway. So it's, it's those things playing off of each other. So that way, when you do get something from him, it feels like something big because yeah. he's been yeah. holding back. Yeah. 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 It's like the grumpy, the grumpy, you know, the grumpy character and then who finally cracks a, like a little half smirk and you're like, Ooh, yeah. And it's only done by, and it's only done by that love interest. You know what I mean? It's, it, yeah, it's she's the key. he or she's the right. Yeah. And, and the thing is too, is as somebody who writes angst, that's me, and puts the dialogue last, like I need to be in the same room with all three of you guys at the same time, and then just like absorb. So when you guys are writing 
or, you know, at these times, do you make yourself laugh too? Um, do you make yourself giggle whenever you come up with these, you know, one-liners or this funny banter? Um, you know how that, you know, that term when they say, if you're not making your character, if you're not crying, then your reader is not crying or whatever. So do you make yourselves laugh when you write all this? I don't know. I think some sometimes I do. And like sometimes like especially when I'm going back over like a second draft and I'm like doing like a read through mm-hmm. and then sometimes I'll get to a spot and I'll like make myself chuckle and I'll be like yeah and that's usually when I text you know tip and I'm like oh my god guess what I just wrote <laughs> and I'm like I'm so jealous it sounds so good I'm like what is that? But the thing is that sometimes, and maybe you guys tell me if um, this is something that you experience too, I'll come up with a line where I'm like, this is so funny. And I'm like, or is it like funny to anyone else? Or do I just think so? Because I have like a very silly sense of humor. So sometimes when I'm writing with people like, like Melanie and I actually did um, like babysitting sessions (laughs) for each other. Was that last year? Yeah, it got, it was, yeah, it was, it was like all like last summer and fall. Like it got me through, man. late night babysitting sessions where we would both sit, um, you know, on our laptops and just quietly just do sprints. Like body, they call it like body doubling or something. It's like a term for, you know, when you trying to get work done and, um, you know, and it works really well if you happen to, you know, maybe be a little bit ADD or something. And like just having someone else doing the same work that you're doing, it kind of keeps you focused. And I love that. It's it's magic. It does really help. It basically just looks like the two of us sitting there in our pajamas. It's, it's, it's weird because like in the theater world, the rule always is that you have to play it straight, that you have mm. to take it seriously. It's the audience's job to laugh. If you're cracking mm. up. That's great. You know, they're not going to laugh. So it's it's like, and that's where the humor often comes in is like these, these characters taking what's going on seriously and the humor is situational. It comes out of it. So mm-hmm. I think what April was saying about, you know, you were laughing when you go through that, that second read through that is the same thing for me. That's when I will find myself laughing sometimes when I'm kind of more in the spectator. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I'm creating it, I don't often laugh quite as much because I'm right in there with them. And yeah, well, occasionally, you know, again, I, I know people think that we're a little bonkers, but yeah, occasionally one of my characters will just, something will come out of their mouth, you know, in my head onto the page. And and yes, I'll crack up at that moment. Um, but again, like Alexis, like maybe it's just me that finds it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you, so April, this is your second book in series. And then Alexis, this is your first book in a three book series, essentially. And then Melanie, you is this a duology or is there going to be one in, in the world? Um, yeah, it was, they each can be standalone, but it was a duology, yes. So in terms of like your world building, tell me how it is to write that specific book and that series. Yeah. So this was not just the first book in a series. It was the first book that I had ever published and the first contemporary romance I ever wrote. I also sat down and I was like, this is going to be a standalone. Even though there's like a bajillion characters, yeah. I was really convinced this was just going to be a standalone romance. But I, I approached it that way. And it was a ton of world building and building the structure for the show. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, you know, all of the other cast members, there's how many episodes there are. What is the theme of each episode? What dance do Stone and Gina do in every episode? Um, what score do they get? Who gets eliminated? I had to figure all of that out beforehand. And I had this uh, this document with pictures of 
Um, I had pictures of actors for inspiration. I had pictures of like dance costumes, you know, what I thought their their outfits like would capture the vibe or like the style of the dance. And then all of that stuff, like here's the score that they got. Here's who gets eliminated that week. Here's how many weeks they are into the show. And that really created the structure of the book um, and a timeline for it, which was great because I'm terrible at doing timelines <laughs> for my books. With You Had Me at Ola, uh, my first round edits, there were a lot of notes like at the beginning of the chapter, it would be like several days passed. Yeah. And my editor would be like, exactly how many? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> days. Some. <laughs> you know? Some. <laughs> For Take the Lead, it was actually a little easier mm-hmm. uh, to do that timeline because yeah. I, I knew how many episodes there were, how many weeks they were doing the season. So that uh, that was fairly easy. But creating everything. Mm-hmm was difficult. But then from there, once I had that, uh, writing the second book, they're not on the show in the second book. So that one was also um, easier because they're in the off season. And then uh, in the novella, it takes place uh, in the three weeks leading up to New Year's. So that also had like a a very set structure. But yeah, I think with that first book, really figuring everything out for the first time. So the first books feel like a lot more work. Second books, I think are a little easier for me anyway. And then third books, uh, judging by how my current third book is going, are terrible. <laughs> Trying to end a series is hard. Yeah. So and how about you, April, writing this second book, knowing that you've already like created the world? So like, like Alexis was saying, like the first book is very heavy because you're creating the whole world and you're creating all the characters. I find it that the second book for me is always what I call the second book syndrome. It's it's mm-hmm. harder for me to write because you spend mm-hmm. so much time on that first one, focusing on the setting and the world building and building the characters and getting to know all the characters and side characters that like, I tend to get like so attached to really? that first couple. Mm, that's interesting. That yeah. It's hard actually for me to get started on that second book. Like yeah. I can't even tell you how long, if my editor is listening, I, <laughs> I, I'm lying. Okay. But <laughs> I can't tell you how long it takes me. Like I need almost like a morning period from the time that oh. I'm done writing book one till I can finally talk myself into getting to book two, just because mm. you miss those first characters. So the second book is actually hardest for me to write. Mm. Once I finally like get into it, I'm good. Like I'm golden. But um, it's, it is, it's, it's a little hard because you, you have to change that focus. And then like the third books for me, I'm always, I always get really super excited again. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. I'm like, all right, you know, yeah. it's excellent. It's a, but, um, but yeah, second ones are always hard for me. Yeah. Now, Melanie, you have a second book, but it's a part of a, a duology. So, I, I mean, I can't even like say like this, the, it's the second book or the third book or the first book, because every time I've written some, like the first time it was my third book that was harder. So I've done, what I've done is kind of cheat by having, I've done a lot of anthology work mm-hmm. and I've had a chance to take side characters from these books and give them a story in various anthologies. Um, it always is interesting to me, the readers who will come back and say, where's so-and-so story? And it was like, yeah. I never even thought I was going to ever give so-and-so a story. But the, you know, the fact that they're so invested in this particular person, you start to, okay, maybe. So the anthologies are kind of my cheat. And I, I, I have plans for a couple anthology stories from these characters, still novellas. This book, uh, T- Too Wrong to be Right, is the first book I've ever written an epilogue for. I've never mm-hmm. done an epilogue before. So I did write an epilogue for this one, kind of feeling like, yeah, this is this these two, you know, mm-hmm. and there is going to be a bonus short story that readers can get that mm-hmm. is because there's three best friends, three couples will kind of get 
a little, a little, because they never get to get into the POV of the third couple. This short story will kind of be that gift where they get. Oh, that that's POV great. Of the third couple. So we received a question from Rachel. If you could create a recipe for a cocktail or mocktail to drink while reading your book, what would it be? And too wrong to be right. They talk about um, making a cocktail using um, Malort. And if you are from Chicago, you know what Malort is. You don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> but the joke is her boyfriend uh says it's amazing and it's because he would say anything she made is amazing. Yeah. How about you, Alexis? Okay, so early on in the pandemic, um, you know how we all kind of I feel like everybody had like weird habits that they built <laughs> during that time. But one of mine was ordering like artisanal ginger beer or ginger ale uh and limes and my local wine store was still always open. They had like a little, like they cut a door, a window into the door and you could, they had a little box. That you could <laughs> <I love> <laughs> we're going to get like a bottle of Hendrix <laughs> and, you know, supporting local businesses. And I would make, um, mules. Yeah. So yeah. like ginger beer or ginger ale. Like I tested all of the different ones that I could get through grocery <laughs> delivery. What was your favorite? favorite? The, my favorite was the Bruce cost. That with lime and a shot of Hendrix, or sometimes just the ginger, ginger ale or ginger beer with lime is super good. I think Gina eats ginger candies during their rehearsals. Like that's like one of her little things that Stone notices about yeah. her. So I think that that would be a good drink for it. How about you, April? I'm probably gonna, I'm going to switch it up and be like, if in in uh, the supernatural singles, the the sisters go to when any of them pretty much um, is annoyed at uh, the man in their life. They go to their local boozy ice cream shop that has all sorts of uh, booze-flavored um, ice cream that has booze in it. Um, so I would say that. Let's take a couple of minutes. You know, we love to shout out our other author friends or um, other books that you're reading that is fantastic. We'd love to have some recommendations. I want to shout out to another Chicago <laughs> author, Danielle Jackson. Um, her debut came out last summer, The Accidental Pinup about a photographer who ends up in front of the camera instead of behind it. And um, her follow-up is coming out uh, this summer and they're just awesome, sassy, curvy heroines and the, all the Chicago vibe. April? I'll go with another paranormal rom-com um, and Whatcha you, you Gonna Do by Avery Flynn. It's, it's, it's funny. It's another one. The heroine is so unlucky in love and actually like keeps getting set up on blind dates with like the same egotistical asshole. <laughs> and, um, and of course he's the only one that can really help her out of like a magical jam. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. He's like, good at banter too. Avery is good at oh, banter. Yeah. Now talk about like sarcasm as, as a love language. Yeah. Like her banter and like the sarcasm in there, it, it, ma it makes you cackle. Talk about laugh out loud. And then Alexis? So the book that I just finished um, was called Honey and Spice by Bolu Babalola. Mm. And it's got college age characters and it's set at their college, which is not always my thing. Um, but it just sucked me in and the writing is just so clever and witty, like, gosh, talk about banter. Um, yeah. these people felt so real and the characters were both just so likable, you know, even at times where I was like, okay, you know, I know this feels like a big deal to you because you're 20, but like, you'll get over this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I cannot read that because I have an almost 20 year old and I'm having those conversations. <laughs> so good. Um, you know, and it really has like such wonderful details because the heroine has a radio show that she does and the hero is there for film and they have mm. to work 
project together, you know, about romance and relationships and love with their, uh, you know, their fellow classmates. And it just, it was so good. But I also, I've just started the very secret society of irregular witches. Yeah, that's on my list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's on it's my list too. Delightful. And I'm going to put in a shout out to Gwenda Bond's Mr. and Mrs. Witch. So um, it's about a witch and a hunter that didn't know that they were witch and a hunter. And they find out on the day of their wedding. And then they're tasked to kill one another. And instead they find out, right, that there's an overall evil that they need to deal with. It gives me, it has like, adventure vibes and super duper funny. And of course, um, lots of love in there too. And there you have it. A huge thank you to Melanie, April, Alexis, and Tiff for taking jokes just the right amount of seriously. If this conversation has made you want to pick up their books, you can do that right on our website, meetcutebookshop.com. They've even sent some signed book plates our way, so you can get a signed copy while supplies last. And that is all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing.